This is Jim Pruitt, and you listen to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. So I farm so hard, the employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100K to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard, let's get paid. What's up, fam? This is your host, Jim Pruitt, a.k.a. Farm D in the ED. And today we have a special episode, which is going to get cross-released on EM Basics with my pal and good friend Dan McCullum. And the topic today is going to be the management of an agitated patient without the B-52 and why the B-52 is trash. So let's jump into the conversation between me and Dan. Jimmy, you wanted to talk to me today about the management of the agitated patient and how we could do a lot better than just defaulting to that old B-52 that we were taught back in the day. Absolutely. I think I'm going to piss a lot of people off when I say this, but the B-52 is trash. Like it should be retired in the way that it's used. And there are smarter ways when using medication, even when you're not using medication to get better uh, management of patients that are acutely agitated. So today we're going to talk about the pharmacologic management of the acutely agitated patient. And this is a great episode where we can combine your diagnostic component and understanding of a, how to control a patient and use some minority pharmacy tools to help better manage these patients, in particularly in the emergency department. All right, Jimmy. So I'm a simple-minded clinician. So let, let's talk about some some case vignettes and discuss what pharmacologic tools we have to manage these different types of folks. So our first patient, we got a 27-year-old, and he's honestly just not that happy to be in the emergency department. He's not physically violent, but he's disgruntled. He's saying, why do I got to be here? He was brought in by the police after getting into a bar fight, and he's clearly drunk. But right now, he's not an acute danger to anyone. He's not swinging any nurses, but he's just unhappy. How should we approach this patient? So unfortunately, then, from a pharmacologic standpoint, I don't think I have anything for you. These are the patients that I've seen my providers have great success with verbal de-escalation and just getting a better understanding of the patient. But from a pharmacologic standpoint, we don't have an indication right now to treat this type of patient. I couldn't agree more, Jimmy. I've heard it said that a turkey sandwich is worth two of uh, Ativan. So I, I think that sort of balancing this out discussing with people, and really just treating them as, as the human being that they deserve to be treated as, um, can often prevent problems from escalating. Um, being overly rigid in your approach to these folks, uh, being confrontational with them can often backfire. And so having some compassion, and as long as everyone is safe, let's try to de-escalate the situation instead of having it spiral out of control, converting a stable patient into a unstable patient. Absolutely couldn't agree more with you. So let's take a similar patient like that. And I like to think of it in one, two, three, four. Uh, One is those patients that are just not too happy. And, you know, a turkey sandwich can definitely take care of that. Now moving forward to the patient in this mild agitation group, let's say he's a little bit more agitated and he starts becoming a nuisance to the nursing staff. Again, not violent yet, but this person is still unhappy and causing more issues, trying to leave. However, he's someone that verbal de-escalation has failed. So for these individuals, maybe we can try some PO medications, maybe some PO Ativan, maybe some ODT Zyprexa, which works very well. And some of the studies have shown that it's had an onset anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. So this is someone who you can get jump ahead of this thing and help de-escalate them. What do you think about that, Dan? 
Absolutely love it. Um, very often, especially with these mildly agitated patients, coming at them with a needle can make the situation a little bit worse. And we'll talk a little bit more in a minute about how slow some of those medicines are that we traditionally administer with the needle, such as Haldol or Haloperidol. How slow those medications are, you can actually end up paradoxically making the situation worse by bringing a needle. I like to use the, the phrasing of, I'd like to give you something for your nerves or something to help you relax, depending on the patient presentation. Very often, these patients recognize that they are upset and agitated, and many of them want to settle down some. So having some phrases like that to introduce why it is that you're administering an oral medication is perfect. To talk tactically, Jimmy, exactly what dosing would you use for some of these medications? So when we're using a benzodiazepine, I think the most common agent that most shops will have will be a P.O.L.A.R.A.Z.A.P.A.M. And for those patients, again, one to two milligrams of P.O.L.A.R.A.Z.A.P.A.M. should be able to work anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes with onset, but it should be something that helps chill them out. And it's going to be, again, as you say, how you phrase the term is going to be great. And moving forward to things like um, ODT, look. Zyprexa or Olanzapine, the 5 milligram tablet is going to be commonly available and again works very well. So you should have this in, in most shops. Again, that's going to be my preferred agent from a benzodiazepine standpoint and my preferred agent from a uh, atypical PO standpoint. If you don't have that, you can always use your old and, and trusted uh, Halperidol. Again, you're going to use anywhere from a 1 to the 5 milligram tablets of that. And again, you're going to have an onset anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes. And it should be able to help the patient um, de-escalate them and to help chill them out just a little bit. I love it, Jimmy. And interestingly, it seems like the oral administration of haloperidol is not that much slower than the IM administration in the patient cooperative enough to give it. It's a common myth amongst many providers that the B52, which we'll talk about a lot more in a second, that that agent's actually really quick, when actually it's quite slow. And if your patient actually is, is settling down a few minutes after that, it's more because you've left them alone after administering the medication. It's more about that environmental change than the, those drugs actually having had time to work. Jimmy, can you tell me a little bit more about this ODT Zyprexa? That's kind of a new agent for me that I haven't used as much as some of these older school medications. Absolutely, Dan. So olanzapine or the ODT Zyprexa is going to be a cool thing to have in your shop because what we've actually shown is that the onset of action compared to others, most med PO medications are going to take 30 to 45 minutes to have an onset. However, when speaking of the formulation, this is not traditionally your oral I swallow tablet it goes down. We've seen studies that reported that at the first time of assessment at 15 minutes, patient has had a clinical reduction in their agitation symptoms based off the tools that they use in those studies. And I think that from a overall standpoint, compared even to some IM medications, it's had a quicker onset. So I believe that having this in your shop is a quick tool to have. And I think that most patients, again, depending what stage they're at, I think of these patients being in the, the stage two for me, will be able to tolerate this quickly. Another key thing is the patient can't cheek these. The patient can't just say, oh, I took it and get left alone for a second. You can actually put this under the tongue. And if you have to sit there and watch, you can. So it's a very cool item to have. And from a pharmacokinetic standpoint, it's favorable to most of the other agents that we have. Okay. So to recap so far, the patient that has minimal agitation is very often going to be verbal de-escalation to treat them as a human, make sure that their needs are being met, you know, that turkey sandwich and maybe offer a phone call if things are working out well for you. For that 
mildly agitated patient, we're looking at some of our oral options, including the benzodiazepines, such as one or two milligrams of lorazepam or Ativan, and then consideration, if, if you're lucky enough to have it, of the ODT, Zyprexa, or Olanzapine. Jimmy, now let's discuss a patient that's a little bit more agitated. So they're not physically violent yet, but, but things are clearly going poorly. They're raising their voice. They might be dropping a few F-bombs. You're getting more and more worried that we're going to have a, a real situation on our hands. What are our options now, and why is it that that standard B-52 isn't so smart for this patient? Then, so this is where we get into where I'm going to piss a lot of people off. When it comes to B-52, of course, just to make sure I'm speaking clear for everyone, you have your Benadryl, usually 25 to 50 milligrams. You have your Halperidol, which is usually 5 milligrams, and then your Ativan, which is traditionally 2 milligrams given IM. And my nursing staff may really get at me for this one here. This medication, the Halperidol and the Benadryl, should not be given together. Most of the time, they're going to draw all these up in one syringe. And again, the evidence is pretty shaky when it comes to compatibility. However, if you look it up, you would see that there are multiple references that recommend against the, the combined administration in one syringe. Where this gets in trouble, it may not happen to your patient. You may have been doing this for 20, 30 years. However, something bad happens. And I like to call myself the, the ED's lawyer because I want to prevent people from having getting called in a medical legal standpoint and saying, why do you give this patient this medication when, especially together, when you've had plenty of references of support that you shouldn't give it in one syringe? But even outside of that, let's talk about uh, efficacy and onset of action. All right, let's talk about the old and trusted IM Haldol going to take 20 to 30 minutes to work. There's been some studies that show that the first sign of onset, the first clinically relevant onset is up to 45 to 60 minutes. That's not going to be cool. Your patient has beat every security guard up in your hospital in 45 to 50 minutes. Okay, let's talk about Ativan. I know that given IV Ativan, the onset can be anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes, which still sucks. But there's been studies that show that the first onset of lorazepam is anywhere from 30 to 20 to 30 minutes. That's, again, not going to be cool. He's probably beat up half of the security guards in the office at this point. And your Benadryl may have a quicker onset. There are some studies and some references supporting uh, up five to 10 minutes having an onset. But that combined combination may be bad for you in the back end. Now it's time to reassess that patient. It's been two hours. Your patient snowed. He should be discharged. He should be dispo to someone else. And your ED doc can give him a report and you're telling, hey, this guy still snowed from that B-52 that we gave three hours ago. And that sucked when combining these medications. And that's not going to be cool. And when you add on the component of I'm concerned about over-sedation, I'm concerned about respiratory depression, adding Benadryl on top of the Halperidol and lorazepam is going to only significantly imp- increase the chance of having over-sedation and going to make your dispo even more challenging. Also add to the fact that there's a study that was done that I'll attach in the show notes that showed reduction in EPS symptoms when given haloperidol with a benzo, which is already there. So if you have a reduction in EPS symptoms from a prophylactic standpoint, and we know that Benadryl can be used to treat these patients, I don't see the role in combining those into one syringe. This may not be compatible. You have other issues from that standpoint. I really just think overall the B-52, when looking at all the things that I considered before, I think it's trash. And I think it probably should be retired in the way that we use it. And yeah, that's my thoughts. 
So please direct all hate mail to Jimmy Pruitt. Uh, no, no, I, Jimmy, I actually agree with you strongly. I think this is a, a medication combination that we got to historically more so than scientifically. All of these medications are quite slow, with it taking about a half hour for it to really kick in. The fact that many of us clinically see patients settle down much faster than that has nothing to do with those medications. And then we end up what I call the B-52 death loop, which is where you, you have an agitated patient, you give them these medications that are slow, sometimes having to redose it, where we commonly see people getting two doses of this, where they end up getting 10 of, of haloperidol or four of lorazepam, and you end up having these patients become incredibly somnolent. Then when you're trying to evaluate them later, your colleagues in psychiatry or you're reassessing them, trying to send them to another facility, the patient is, is too obtunded to actually have a proper interview. And so what happens again? They sleep it off, and then eight hours later, as the medications finally begin to wear off, they become agitated again, and then you end up giving them more B-52s. And so I've seen patients that have, have stayed far too long in, in this drug combination that isn't very evidence-based, is far too slow, and isn't even compatible. So, Jimmy, now that you've completely crapped on this drug that I've spent years using, what, what have you got for me instead? Don't just tell me that there's nothing else that I've got in my, my toolkit. What, what's, the, what's the thinking clinician's response to the B-52? All right, so this is where we can get nerdy. This is where things really get exciting for me. When I see an agitated patient that's in my range three, we have lots of tools, and we have tools that are better than a B-52. One of the things that I want to consider first is let's just look at our benzodiazepines and let's consider what we've traditionally been using and what we probably should be using. So when looking at lorazepam, again, we've talked about this 20 to 30 minute onset when given IM, and that's if we're lucky. And then we think about the fact that it lasts anywhere from, you know, two to six hours. And then when using a combination of other medications up to eight hours, we say, OK, what can be better than that? And I think of the goals that we have right now. You want to be able to get your patient down immediately and you want to be able to get him chill enough to where he's no longer violent or being be, be, be a threat to the ED to himself or the staff. And then you want to reassess him probably about an hour later. And that's going to be cool when you think about dispo. So when looking at the onset of uh, midazolam, which is another agent we can use IM, it has a much smoother and more favorable pharmacokinetic profile, which gets into the bloodstream much more quickly than this cornstarch-like substance, the lorazepam. And my nurses know when they're drawing this up, it's crappy. It takes forever to get it drawn up, and it just looks like trash. And that's probably why I say this trash. So midazolam is going to have an onset, depending on what study you're looking at, anywhere from 3 to 10 minutes. That's phenomenal. So from that standpoint, I may be able to put up that patient and not get beat up with three to five minutes, hold him down for a few minutes, give the IM shot, and it should get me kicking in pretty soon. And Jimmy, this seems to, to dovetail nicely with some of the evidence we have for status epilepticus with some pre-hospital information showing that IM midazolam, or Versed as it's commonly said, uh, is actually as good, if not much better, than trying to establish an IV and getting lorazepam or Ativan in the patient, that's on a patient that actually might be potentially cooperative to getting an IV if you have a nurse that's able to get an IV into a patient that's actively seizing. These patients, as a rule, if they're needing this medication, are not going to be super chill about having IV access obtained. So before you send your hate mail, I want to make sure that I'm providing some evidence along with just the favorable pharmacokinetic profile. 
a study done by No Pain and colleagues in 2004 was a prospective double-blind randomized trial with about 95 patients, so not a ton. However, they looked at this a while back and said, we're going to compare IM midazolam 5 milligrams, IM haloperidol 5 milligrams, and IM lorazepam 2 milligrams. Something very common what we use within our ER, and most places probably have this in their shop. And what I want to point to is the mean time to sedation. That means your patient is chill. Your patient is no longer trying to beat up 10 security guards. And what they found was that lorazepam, 32 minutes to have an onset to sedation compared to 18 minutes for your midazolam and then compared to 28 minutes for haloperidol. When you actually look a little deeper, lorazepam was dropped from the study due to significantly longer time to sedation and awakening. So that just gives you some evidence that maybe we can use a different agent. And there's a lot of information out there that shows that these agents have, you know, similar sedation profiles, similar respiratory depression profiles. However, it happens much quicker and your staff has to be aware to monitor these patients within their first few minutes compared to monitoring their sedation and respiratory depression at 30 minutes that it takes for them to have an onset. All right, Jimmy. So it sounds like we've completely dismantled any argument for the use of lorazepam as the two component of the classic B-52, instead advocating for a dose of something to the order of five milligrams of midazolam or, again, Versed. Um, I must stress that a lot of these agents have a real problem with the generics versus the name brands. Some of them are so ingrained um, that, that, especially in a risky situation, as much as I hate to use brand names, I think this is a really important class to actually know both on. Because if you call out for lorazepam while the patient's struggling, you really don't want this to be the, the moment that the, the nurse grabs the wrong agent. I'll often use the brand names of, of Advan and things like that because they're so much more ingrained in the, in the culture. So our, our other components that we were looking at as part of the B-52, it sounds like we've already discussed the Benadryl component or diphenhydramine for the purists out there, that the Benadryl doesn't actually do the thing that we want it to do. But on top of that, it's very messy. It's slow in onset and then maybe a, a significant contributor to some of that prolonged sedation that we see with folks. Additionally, a lot of patients may have overdosed on something. They may have been using some street drugs or something to that effect. And the anticholinergic component of, of Benadryl or diphenhydramine is really not optimal, in my opinion. Absolutely. I agree everything with you when it comes to the Benadryl being added. And again, remember that it's not compatible with, with your haloperidol. So from that standpoint, when you're thinking about just figuring out how can you quickly assess a assess a patient after getting them sedated. Adding an additional medication doesn't help you from that standpoint. So I believe the B probably should be gone. You know, so be gone, Benadryl. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jamie. So it sounds like our B fifty two, we we've just removed the the B part. So now we're just left with the fifty two. And then we said that two of Lorazepam or Ativan should be replaced with five of Midazolam or Versed. So now we're left with the the fifty five. Now, what about the that five? I mean, haloperidol is by far my favorite agent that was part of that classic B-52. Are there other options that might be coming along? So there's, a, there's been a lot of excitement out there for a few different agents that's uh, become more prevalent, getting not new agents, but they're more prevalent in ERs. So I'm going to mention just very briefly about droperidol, and this is something that's probably going to be its own topic in itself. Again, when, let's just talk about kinetics. The fact that we can give this agent as IV or IM 
and have a very similar efficacy in time to onset. We're talking less than 10 minutes. Five to 10 minutes there's been shown to have droperidol have onset of action, and it's been compared against haloperidol and some of the other agents and shown more favorable outcomes when looking at time to sedation of a patient and time to reassessment of a patient. There's a ton of information out there about QTC risk. That's a topic for another conversation. But again, this agent is something that's more, more prevalent now. There's a few manufacturers making it. And it's, again, from a pharmacokinetic standpoint, have a favorable profile with having onset less than 10 minutes and a duration of anywhere from two to four hours. So that's going to be great from a dispo standpoint. It works. It's great. It's compatible with many different things. So you don't have to worry about that. Okay, so if you're lucky enough to have this available in your hospital, we could be replacing that haloperidol with droperidol instead. Looks like it's very favorable pharmacologically, and it would be a little bit of a stronger dose, but five milligrams of that would be a perfectly acceptable replacement for the the new 55 that we're advocating for instead of that B52. Jimmy, are there any new agents, such as the, the new atypical agents, that might actually justify being a replacement for haloperidol? So this is where things get very interesting. Guys, so olanzapine is another agent you can have within your ER. And the dose that we're looking at anywhere from 5 to 10 milligrams given IM. It hasn't been studied IV in America. So we want to make sure we put that out there. So we have, that's a great component. It's been shown to be very effective when compared to haloperidol and some of the other agents when thinking about how quickly you can get your patient sedated. Now hold up, Jimmy. We just mentioned that we were going to be using five milligrams of Versed or midazolam as part of our cocktail here. I thought there was some big warning that was associated with olanzapine and the use of benzodiazepines. All right, I'm probably about to piss a lot of pharmacists off with this one here. So if you, if you look, there's an FDA warning. You, hey, you shouldn't give olanzapine with midazolam or with, with, with lorazepam. Why is that? Before we get into that, let's talk nerdy. What is olanzapine? What is the structure Dude, if you look at it, it's a theanobenzodiazepine. The structure is very similar to lorazepam. So when you start going through this FDA warning and piecing through those patients that, that received this medication, there's patients that, it's only one patient that got the medication by itself that had issues. There was a few more that had a combination of just olanzapine and lorazepam. But after that, things start getting really dicey. And this recommendation to withhold uh, administration because of an increased risk of respiratory depression and hypotension, it's also going to be pretty interesting. Again, you're basically giving two benzodiazepines at once when you, when you give olanzapine plus um, lorazepam. So the data is not good with it. And there is a lot of things that we, it's a lot of confounders to the fact that, you know, 12 days later, someone died because they received a combination of olanzapine and lorazepam, but they received 17 other medications. No one talks about that. So I encourage you guys to go out there, read the actual FDA report, read that, read those case reports and realize that maybe that risk is not as not as big as we would like to say. And if you really look deep into it, I would say at most I would recommend, again, like they do in other countries, not administering those medications within 60 minutes of each other because the data is really crappy for it. And I encourage you guys to go out then read the article uh, published by uh, William and colleagues, and they talked about this co-administration of olanzapine and benzodiazepines, and I'll attach this to the show notes for you guys to go out there and read. So uh, I'm not as big on it. Again, the FDA said, so to protect your license, I would just separate it by by six minutes if you have to, but there is studies out there giving both lorazepam and midazolam with olanzapine at the same time. 
And Jimmy, I think that that segues nicely into the fact that these patients, once you have control, you need to make sure that you're watching their vitals. It's very, very seductive once that patient stops being in the, the forefront of your mind because they're yelling or they're agitated or something like that, that you walk off and forget about them. Uh, forgetting the fact that one of the most dangerous times for these folks is right once they're becoming sedated. So you do want to put these folks on a monitor if at all possible. You want to make sure that they're, they're not becoming hypoxic or anything like that. You need to be honest with yourself that you had a very limited opportunity for a history and physical exam before administering these. And so you may not know some co-ingestions that may have taken place or underlying things such as pulmonary edema that may be going on that you're doing a decent physical exam and checking some vitals after it is safe to evaluate the patient more thoroughly. So, Jimmy, let, let's talk about the, the real showstopper here, right? This is not the calm patient. This is not the agitated patient. This isn't even the, the verbally abusive patient. This is the one that has come in. There's like five beefy firemen trying to wrestle them to the ground. They just, you know, bit a nun on the way in. I mean, you know, they, there's just an absolute WrestleMania going on. And you will want something that will be the safest way of getting this patient under control so that you can actually take care of them. Because we don't know what's going on. Is this a, is this a polysubstance abuser? Is this a head bleed that's, um, that, that came in as a trauma? You don't know what's happening. But you do know that none of the stuff that we can bring to bear is actually working for this patient while we're wrestling with them. So what is your go-to agent for this? All right, guys. So this is where, again, the B-52 drops the ball. I cannot wrestle Triple H for 20 to 30 minutes and expect to win. Their wrestling matches are not even that long. This is where you got to bring out the big gun and flex your ketamine muscle. Bring out the K-dart. It's time to go in the hole, okay? And I'm not talking about the hole within the ER. I'm talking about the K-hole. It's time to put these patients down again. So ketamine, you can give anywhere from two to five mix per kick of ketamine. And from a pharmacy and nursing standpoint, the more concentrated, the better. Because if you don't have the, the 100, per, 100 per one or the 50 per one, you're going to run into an issue where your nursing policies won't allow you to administer the volume that you need. So for the average patient, we're talking anywhere from two to 500 milligrams of ketamine. And this is where it's going to have a rapid onset. Where again, we're talking about within five to 10 minutes. I may be able to, be able to put up with Triple H for, 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 for five minutes. However, I can't do the 30 the 40 minutes that it takes with the B-52. Uh, Jimmy, uh, my only hope would be if Triple H couldn't catch me for five minutes, but, uh, but I, I think you got a shot at it, to, to be honest. Uh, so I, I can't emphasize enough that the different concentrations of ketamine are very, very important here. Uh, we're used to doing procedural sedations with ketamine for many years, in which case the concentration really wasn't that important because those folks, as a rule, would have an IV. These folks, since it's an IM injection, you don't want to be looking at your nurse and asking them to inject 20 milliliters IM. That's a non-starter. So make sure that you understand which concentrations you're using and then work this out in advance with your nursing staff. This isn't the moment to realize that the concentrated form isn't in the Pixis that the nursing staff thought it was in. You need to be absolutely certain that everyone's on the same page and this needs to happen far before this patient presents. This needs to happen weeks in advance. So, Jimmy, let, let's talk about therapeutic index of ketamine and w one reason why this is so incredibly attractive as an agent. If I accidentally gave 10 times of, of a dose of what I wanted to for a benzodiazepine, disaster would likely strike, where apnea or hypotension would be very, very common. Well, what happened if I accidentally gave more ketamine than I intended? So, for the most part, your patient will just be under control for a longer period of time. 
there has been some case reports out there and pediatric population, please don't come after me. But there's one pediatric case report that showed that we gave an overdose of ketamine 10 times the dose that was needed. That patient stayed, stayed sedated for a longer period of time, had no cardiac uh, or neurological effects, and the patient was discharged the next day. So when I'm thinking of like how bad this can get, usually for the, a patient, again, I caveat this, that doesn't have a strong cardiac history or have other issues that can be exacerbated by increase in, in uh, MAPS. Those patients did well. So a patient that did not have a cardiac history, the patient did well. And I think one of the things I would like to mention is that it's a safe drug for, the, for I would say, for 90 percent of patients out there. And the, I would definitely encourage physicians and your nursing staff to this is the best time to assess this patient now. This is not you give a KDAR and you just say, oh, I'm going to go eat some, you know, eat that turkey sandwich that I gave the other patient. <laughs> this is time to actually assess that patient. Make sure we're not missing anything because you're only going to get anywhere from, I would say, 20, 20 to 60 minutes of adequate sedation with this. So this is time to figure out what's going on, figure out some underlying issues, and then be, be ready to treat these patients in a, once they're more stable and once you have them in better control. I love it, Jimmy. So let's not waste that golden hour that you have after you've uh, achieved control using ketamine. Let's make sure that we're doing a proper physical exam, that we're trying to leverage outside resources to figure out what brought this patient here, and that we're placing them on a monitor. And I'll go ahead and admit that I have a bias towards the use of capnography in these patients. If you have the option of doing continuous capnography, you can watch to make sure that there aren't episodes of apnea. A lot of these patients will have other substances on board. And so even though the ketamine is actually quite safe from that perspective, it's really, really smart to make sure that you're not missing anything. All right, guys. So there's a group of people out there, and I won't say their specialty, but I'm part of it, that ketamine is a great drug. Ketamine is a phenomenal for the indications that is needed. But I think it's key to point out where we're using this drug. This is not for the one that just needs a turkey sandwich. This is not for the patient that is a little agitated and just, you know, called you some, some bad words. This is for the violent, severely agitated patient. From a standpoint of the fact that it has a quick onset, great. However, it doesn't last a long time for that patient who you, you, you won't go and assess after because they wasn't severe from the beginning with. So I, I like to promote the appropriate use of this one in the appropriate patient population, which it was studied in. This is not for everyone who drops the F-bomb. So I would just caution from the over-utilization of ketamine and give it to the right patient because I've seen uh, particularly some of the junior physicians who is excited about it. It's a cool thing. You know, from a pharmacy standpoint, it's a cool thing as well. But let's make sure we use this in that patient that just drop kicked the security guard. And it's been a, a, a nuisance to your ER from a resource standpoint. And they're a complete violence is, is a danger to themselves and your staff. Couldn't agree more, Jimmy. We need to make sure that there's no indication creep with this agent. I, I like to approach it as, would it break your heart if this patient was intubated? And if it would, then it's probably an inappropriate patient to be using ketamine on because you should be looking at another agent that's going to be a little bit gentler, a little bit safer in many ways. But if it's a patient that historically might have actually been intubated using, using RSI drugs, that would actually be a perfect indication for the use of ketamine because this medication is dramatically safer than the risks of RSI in an uncontrolled patient. So, Jimmy, let's, let's recap. Sounds like for the mildly agitated patient, we should be leveraging not pharmacology, but actually verbal de-escalation. 
For patients that are a little bit more agitated, we might reach for some oral agents, such as oral lorazepam or Ativan, or using some of that cool ODT olanzapine that we were talking about. For our moderately for our moderately agitated patient that's not physically violent yet, but things are, are escalating, we're instead reaching for our 55 instead of our B52, leaving the Benadryl behind, continuing with the Haldol or Haloperidol, and then instead using five of midazolam or Versed as the replacement for that. Understanding that droperidol might be a reasonable agent to replace the haloperidol in that. And then for our most severe patients, ones that are violently agitated, ketamine is going to be our go-to drug using an IM formulation of 2 to 5 milligrams per kilogram. Is that about right, Jimmy? Sounds, sounds perfect. Again, I'm sorry for all of you individuals who just fell in love with B52 and, you know, You've, you've had three generations of nursing in, in your family, and your great-grandma gave the first B-52. So I, I'm sorry if, that, if that's the case, but there are smarter ways to take care of these patients, and there are smarter ways to get better dispo for your patients. And I think that Dan correctly listed all of those medications that I would, I would go with, and I think that moving forward, as you create your acute agitation protocols and guidelines, you can sprinkle these in. And from a pharmacy standpoint, have these drugs available. Have these in areas where they need it. The concentrated ketamine should be in your ERs. It should be in your in your in your psych units if they know how to appropriately use these medications. So have these things available. Make your protocols to make yourself happy about it. But please make sure we're doing things that take care of the patients and taking care of our staff because there's nothing more disheartening than seeing one of your nursing colleagues or one of your physician colleagues or even pharmacy colleagues being harmed due to the fact that we didn't adequately sedate a patient in the time that was needed. Well, Jimmy, I can't thank you enough for upping our game as we take care of this very difficult uh, patient population. Thanks so much for, for dropping some knowledge on us. And thank you for coming on and, and allowing us to use your brain and figuring out how to assess these patients. These are always fun episodes, and I look forward to the dual drop of this. It's going to be a class. There's going to be hate mail coming from multiple emails. Uh, my grandma, you know, was mad about that. She she mixed that B fifty two together back in the twenties. So you 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 take your little fancy drugs and go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Jimmy. This is Dan signing off for Ian Basic. All right. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Farms of Heart podcast. All the information I talk about in the episode is going to be in the show notes. So definitely go check that out at farmsoheart.com or follow us at farmsoheart underscore heart at Twitter. And remember, you don't have to be a pharmacist. You don't have to work in the ED. But everything you do, make sure you farm so hard. Weezy out of here. Weezy out of here.